Hello everyone, my name's George and I'm just one slice of the creative team behind the new acapella Edinburgh Fringe Show 1001 Open Mic Nights. I'm the director and the producer of the show. I love acapella and what I lack in talent, I make up for in enthusiasm. Hi, I'm Charlie, I'm co-music director and I'll be lending my PR and marketing skills to the show. Hi, I'm Rob and I'm the other co-music director of 1001 Open Mic Nights and acapella fan extraordinaire, known from such occasions as that one time I watched all three Pitch Perfect movies back to back alone in my room. And welcome to episode four. This week we're joined by our very first special podcast guest, Michael Coleman. Michael is a veteran acapella beatboxer and a member of the 1001 Open Mic Nights cast. In this episode, we discuss with him all things vocal percussion and take a meandering stroll down memory lane. Also, fire spinning. Enough said. Enjoy. Hello! Hello! beautiful that so was harmonious. really nice and for the very astute people out there who again are religious and fanatic listeners of our podcast you might realize there's a fourth voice in here today <gasps> who is it wow. who is it <laughs> <laughs> i don't know actually there's this random guy in the zoom call i don't really know what he's doing here no everybody it's michael yeah it's michael yeah Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Michael. How are you? Um, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm doing good, George, and everyone. How are you doing? <laughs> We're okay. Is everyone okay? Yeah. In your various rooms? Yeah. I'm I'm in my New York skyline, as per usual, you know, just taking a trip across the Atlantic. No one can see that. No Rob. one knows. You're going to have to describe it in detail. It's very scenic. Basically, it's very, it's beautiful. I feel like I'm on a helicopter over Manhattan, really living my best <laughs> I life. I feel like but I'm, I'm, I'm in a helicopter watching a Zoom call that is happening in Manhattan. <laughs> I'm just on it's my really phone, going past the Empire State Building, like, wow, Rob Zoom looks great. <laughs> no, it's like that. It's like that new EE advert with Rita. I feel like I'm Rita Ora, but not London, New York. Oh, that advert that. triggers me slightly, to be honest, as someone who works with VR. <laughs> because <laughs> none of it makes any sense there's no like tracking dots on her face but it manages to perfectly track her expressions so I'm like nah this is an odd maybe it is may, no, maybe it is magic then maybe it's magic over technology maybe that's what it is in case anyone was know. wondering Rob's wallpaper wallpaper? wallpaper yes yes um, it is in wallpaper. the background of his zoom is a Manhattan skyline but it's real wallpaper as opposed to virtual wallpaper so it's there all the time yeah Yay. but it is in a sense virtual Manhattan yes yes for me it's very virtual yeah i don't it's it's confusing there's too many metalers people keep thinking it's a zoom background i'm here to i'm here to clear up the rumors guys it's not a zoom background it is my wallpaper (laughs) (laughs) this is my life okay so we've had virtual introductions and now what would we like to know more about for this episode who is michael where did he come from why is he here here? (laughs) i'll let you know Michael's a beatboxer, a very, very talented beatboxer, and he is beatboxing for 1001 Open Mic Nights. You also know him from Aquapella. You also know him from Sex Education. You may also know him from Bath University. What else can we know you for? Twitch? There's so many. He's got so many credits. God, don't mention the Twitch. <laughs> I thought you were also just calling him Twitch. <laughs> what do we know you for? Twitch? Want <laughs> to be a Twitcher? I also think we should clarify Sex Education, the TV show. In case anyone was wondering. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I am yeah, not the key feature of your PSHCE <laughs> classes. That's, uh, I will not be involved in your secondary education. 
Well, maybe this is how you become involved in it. This podcast goes out into the world and there'll be a teacher somewhere who's like, yeah, you know what? We should get this guy into school. This, this guy sounds accessible. Let's get him into our PSHE lessons. Just from the soothing sound of your voice. Yeah, no, that's that's the thing. We're going to springboard you into something you didn't even know you wanted to do, Michael. I'm so ready. Here we are. Yeah, no, he's, he's prepared. Listen, kids, this is normal. <laughs> Well, you've already got it halfway there because you're doing teaching as part of your your PhD already. So you know you have the experience. I yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether I'm like an appropriate teacher because half the time I just kind of diss the course, uh, <laughs> which they all take. To the kids, though, are they kids? They're students? kids to me. They're all much younger than me. They are all actual <laughs> legal adults, but they they feel like they're kids. Because I'm old now. I feel like you're told... No, but you're told you're an adult before you're an adult. I think there's a whole thing of thinking... Because I have regressed. I'm not an adult anymore. I thought I was an adult for a minute. And then I was like, "Mm, no. I decided that, thank you. We're we're just going to take that back. (laughs) Yeah, no. Just (laughs) retract that statement. (laughs) What's what's a fun fact you would like everyone to know about you and and your life? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. That's uh, a fun fact... Uh, is that I also like to spin fire. I haven't done that for a while, but... What does that mean? Do you what? mean, I, presumably not fire breathe? Hang I don't, on. don't fire breathe. That's really bad for you, I think. Because you, you like, Where basically... Where is this podcast going? Inhale carcinogenic chemicals to fire breathe. I don't do that, because I don't want to do that. <laughs> but, um, uh, I, yeah, I spin, I used to spin fire a lot more than I do now, which is kind of what, what is that? So you get, like, a stick, and it's got... It's called wicks on the end. Like they're kind of like really tightly wound fabric. You dip them in paraffin so and set them on fire, and then you can spin the stick, and it makes makes cool patterns. You can do like this fireball thing when you first start, and you because you have excess paraffin, you set it on fire, and you go with the stick, and then it goes. That makes like a big. I vote we put this in the thing. show. Um... Yeah, I, I I think this has to <laughs> I'm be. I'm not doing the risk assessment for that one. No, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say so that. Crazy. You guys, we're learning as you, the audience, are. So I'm just confused. How did you get into that in the first place? Like, what was the point where you were like, you know what, I'd like to do on a Wednesday afternoon? I'd like to set fire to some sticks and throw them around in the air. Yeah. Well, to be honest, like lots of things in my life and skills that develop, including beatboxing, it just was like a gradual escalation from a vague idea I had. So I think I watched was... like Ip Man or something or like a Kung Fu movie and they have like, they have staffs often and they do tons of twirly stuff. And I was like, oh, cool. That would be cool to do. So I tried to learn how to do that stuff with just a regular stick or a bow. And then you just cool. set it on fire. Yeah. How old were you when this started? Um, I don't know, 18? I thought you were going to say eight oh. for a second there. I was like, yeah. what? Yeah, I'm, no, I, I was ready for you to be a child. No, I, this makes been, it sound like been... I'm good at it, but I can only really do <laughs> very basic stuff. But I, you add fire to no, it. I think... Being good is just doing it, I reckon. I think picking them up in the first... I can just about light a candle. Um, that's all I'm trusted to do in my household. <laughs> that's all I can do. That's very impressive. As long as you don't set it. yourself on fire, you've achieved the high standards. But I have set myself on fire once. <laughs> what? That's nice. But you've lived a tail tale. Yeah, it was just yeah. my leg. 
So you've got another one. It's fine. It's okay. Yes, fair. Yeah, don't and worry, you don't need good. legs to beatbox. So we're we're all good no. here. No, <laughs> we just need you to be. <laughs> we're in the some claim. vocal cords and a mouth, and we're fine. That's all we need from you, Michael. That's why I don't fire breathe. <laughs> Does anyone so. else really want another fun fact now? Because that was way yeah, I want another than one. I expect. That was way more fun than most of the fun facts I hear. <laughs> um. Do you have any more fun facts for us? I mean, there's no pressure. I feel like we're going to sit here and grill you for the next hour about this <laughs> fire spinning thing. <laughs> uh, another kind of fun fact, I guess, is that I, I think I can still put both my feet behind my head. What? <laughs> Why are you oh, not in the circus, Michael? Why have you not thought about it's this? It's really bad. <laughs> Because that's the whole act, right? So <laughs> I used to do gymnastics as a kid and like, you know, shit like that. But the whole point of gymnastics was you learned how to do new moves. But for some reason as a kid, I was like, I've got this gymnastics thing figured out. I can put my feet behind my head, dog. I don't need to do these flips and this bar work. So I was a very unsuccessful gymnast. Uh, and now I can't do it because I am older. And have started sitting in a chair more. <laughs> no, so you need to gradually just sort of yeah. like start getting your feet behind your head until one day when we're at rehearsals on a Wednesday evening, you just arrive. With feet up here. Yeah, up yeah, and ready to go. Yeah. Hey guys. <laughs> Hi. I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, a man of many talents, it I'm seems. Just I'm very so impressed. impressed with that range of skills. It's one of those things where like you don't, because nobody, people don't just ask in general conversation. You don't go hi how are you do you do you spin fire like people don't ask these yeah. things so it's only when you're in situations where like <laughs> you have to like get to know somebody better that you find out all these crazy things about people and it's my favorite thing it's my favorite thing well, you know they make good icebreakers i think i put in my first class of the semester i put my foot behind my head to try and make the class more relaxed because <laughs> <laughs> I think that would make time. me a lot more tense if I was in that class. Hey kids, look what I can do. <laughs> hey kids, we're here to learn about essay writing, but first. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I think that's memorable though. You'll you'll stay with them. They'll be there in their in their rocking chairs and be like, I remember this guy I had for one seminar. <laughs> he put his foot behind his head. <laughs> And then we learned about presentations. <laughs> no, you make an impression. That's the important thing. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Yeah. You just make that impression. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. It's, I, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know what I was going to say. I just think I'm really impressed and I've lost the ability to speak now. Um, I feel like our introductions have been surpassed now. Yeah. But, oh well. The thing is, those skills I just mentioned are useless. Yeah, but they're no. really there's a, whole, there's a whole thing at the moment where everyone's being told you have to be productive all the time but i think more people need weird things like that yeah. so really you are the pioneer in this yeah. because we don't need to be thinking about how we could learn mandarin every day we need to be learning to spin fire, to spin fire. Breathe so fire. what what i'm hearing is i'm single-handedly saving our generation yes. uh, yeah yeah, exactly yeah I think so. that. that's what we've learned oh, another thing to add to my fun fact <laughs> your cv is going to be full just by the end of this podcast because you know you're officially a podcaster now as well glad we can oh my goodness another feather in the cap <laughs> but speaking of skills this is a great segue probably not quite as good as george's last week but we can segue into how did you get into beatboxing? Another one of your skills. Yay. Ooh. 
tell us the story behind uh, how you started. And I guess also maybe a, a good little caveat would be the difference between beatboxing and VP and kind of what yeah. you do with both. Okay. Yeah, this is an interesting question, actually, uh, about vocal percussion and beatboxing and how they relate to each other. Because I, I did um, a tutorial series for like the arts centre at my university. And I thought a really important part of that was to appreciate what exactly the different terms mean and like the cultural context for it. So if you ask other beatboxers or other vocal percussionists, they'll probably tell you something different and everyone will have their own way of looking at it. But my understanding is that vocal percussion is like a very broad term that applies to any music from anywhere around the world, which is made with your mouth. So... Uh, beatboxing is an example but you also have things like conical which is uh, part of south indian carnatic music i think and it's like um i can't do it but it's this rhythm where they basically like tap out a meter on their hand kind of like we have four four time signature and then they use certain syllables like i think it's like like and they have sort of um intonations which match it and it sounds like drums and it can get so complicated and so impressive um you also have something in America called Ething, which is this kind of hillbilly beatboxing kind of thing. And you basically just breathe in and out. Uh, I can't do it. But if you look up Ething, it's pretty weird and pretty cool. <laughs> um, so that's like vocal percussion. And then for me, beatboxing is another example of vocal percussion, which came about in like the Bronx in the 80s, I think. Um, it. Some people think it evolved from like blues music and people having to make music and try and make bands with nothing but their voices um so then when we get to the acapella world people like to use the term vocal percussionist for what i would do in a group or what other beatboxers would do in a group but um my understanding is that beatboxing is kind of a cultural cultural thing it's got like a cultural context of generally kind of hip-hop music but that's changing at the minute, I think, and it's becoming a bit more focused towards like EDM and dubstep. So beatboxing is sort of like you are the music and then coming back in a weird circular fashion, vocal percussion is you providing percussion to vocal music. So it goes like vocal percussion, beatboxing's part of that. And if you use beatboxing in acapella, you are a vocal percussionist is my understanding of it. Wow. I don't know about you guys, but I did not know that. It's so multifaceted because I'd always had in my head, obviously, like I, before, I think before this kind of last year and a half, I'd always been like, oh, beatboxing is beatboxing. It's like whatever it is. And then people use the term vocal percussion and you're like, oh, well, it's basically interchangeable. But then through this last year, a lot of people have pointed out that they are two different things, but I had no idea that it was quite, that many different layers to it because yeah as you say like we don't i guess we don't get exposed generally to a lot of the ways in which like different cultures use certain aspects of music and things like vocal percussion and have been using that for you know thousands of years already and then you get pitch perfect coming along and being like hey beatboxing this is now a mainstream <laughs> thing and then everyone's like oh beatboxing was invented for acapella and it's like not really yeah i I thought it was really important to like explore that context because it comes from a group of people who needed to make music, but because of the way society was structured, they didn't have the means to do it. So like 
it's it's started off as a very primal human need to like create with what they had and so i wanted to make sure i appreciated that before i started teaching other people how to beatbox because you know i think it's important to consider where the things that you use come from mm. so i'm hoping that uh i'm hoping i got that right i did like a fair amount of research to get that <laughs> conclusion but like i said someone will probably tell you it works differently and have different <laughs> definitions but... no but then i'm sure once you hear that you'll then change what you say and then you learn from that because it is it is sequential isn't it and you add things to it and you take things away and it's like i guess it's just a language thing as well Hmm. like having the right words to be able to describe it that's the word that we have but But i think as well with any kind of create anything creative there's always going to be a okay well from my perspective it's this is how this situation came to be and from someone else's perspective it could be slightly different so um, but I think, but Rob, when you said about acapella, presumably, obviously, well, I don't know, um, presumably though it did start, it, uh, VP did start through acapella because if people didn't have access to things and they are just, everyone is just using, you know, their voices as instruments. So it's not acapella in the term that we see it perhaps today in like contemporary US acapella maybe. Yeah. But more acapella in the, truest sense of the word where it's just voices yeah that's probably quite a another important distinction to make in terms of like definitions i think i think a lot of people who get into acapella at first aren't necessarily aware of the fact that like the terminology that's often used in acapella comes from this whole like this whole swathe of of historical music that goes back thousands of years because acapella itself first it meant um in the style of the church the, the literal translation of acapella music. Um, and today the word acapella obviously means something completely different to a lot of people because when you say acapella, it brings to your mind that mainstream sort of like pitch perfect, very kids at university doing an acapella group sort of thing. But it can be used in any context to mean music that doesn't use instruments. Um, the whole kind of in the style of the church is because that's how singing used to be done in the church. Um, and obviously these days you have things like organs, so it's it's less less kind of common to have just a cappella music in a church service. But it's still a it's still a rich kind of there's still a rich history to it that carries along with with choristers today who do a lot of you know really sacred a cappella music. Um, Even then, though, I reckon like historically speaking, church. This is obviously way way back, but you know before kind of concerts were really a thing, church would be to a degree you know i guess an extra form of entertainment this is obviously hundreds and hundreds of years ago and obviously there is the religious context behind that and i'm I'm not diminishing that but alongside it having that music at church is a big part of people's lives i assume i don't don't know i don't know anyone from that far back but (laughs) yeah i don't know anyone from the 1600s (laughs) Oh, actually, I do. John, he lives just down the road. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him afterwards and I'll get back to you. Talk in. All right, John. Hi. Hi, John from the 1600s. That's his full formal name. Um, um, my question is, this might be a really, really dumb question, but I don't know anything. <laughs> so acapella, barbershop, any of those kind of things, what's the difference? Like, when, is is it vocal percussion? Is it showmanship? I'm not sure. Like, in a modern context. Barbershop is a form of acapella. Yeah, I think a lot of the time it's stylistic. So, like, the reason it's called beatboxing is because 
it was designed to imitate the sounds of machines called beatboxes. So I think it's like the boss RC some numbers. I can't remember what the numbers are. <laughs> but around the 80s, like the the richer MCs and rappers were starting to use beatboxes as part of their instrumentation for their tracks. And so when poorer MCs from like the Bronx and areas like that in New York couldn't get those machines, people just started imitating the sounds as best they could with their mouths. And then like barbershop is that style because it's like close harmony. You don't need many people to do it. I'm guessing it had some origins in a barbershop. Yeah. <laughs> that would that would make sense. But like it's all fundamentally the same general concept of it's music coming from a person mm. or several I people. Wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised, and I've done zero research on this, so please do not quote <laughs> me on this. Um, and I'm aware this is going out into the world, but yeah, <laughs> with um, with barbershop, I would assume that you know, starting off in poorer communities, barbershop's always been. Um, a big part of the black community and so if it started there then it was just called barbershop I I have no idea but I wonder if that's um, if that's a part of it at all you yeah, should find I... someone who knows a, a long yeah. old history of barbershop to maybe you should ask Ben when he comes on to be fair yeah. that's a very good shout because he does a lot of barbershop and mm. I, th- I think I believe you are right though in, in saying that Charlie because the, for my dissertation I had to read up on on kind of all of the different um the like almost diaspora of acapella music generally um and there was a book to, that that focused entirely on the history of barbershop and I, it it stems from an african-american tradition way back again like i haven't done enough research to be able to say confidently exactly where it comes from but like michael said with all of these things like acapella as it is today it, it almost now feels like an, an amalgamation of so many of these different backgrounds that have all kind of merged into one almost converged mainstream thing. And obviously all of those different styles still exist outside of the sort of collegiate acapella thing. Um, but the mainstream acapella that we know most appropriates different things from different bits of different kind of musical styles. And you see groups who do, who lean more one way than the other. Like you've still got people who compete in the ICCAs who do a close representation of what barbershop is today in the competition but then you have other groups that steer completely towards just like replicating a pop track and it's interesting to see all these different influences kind of coming out in different groups and their different backgrounds and how they've kind of been introduced to acapella as a concept um, and also taste as well and yeah. like the the music director's taste like, you know, deciding to put Imogen Heap as the opening song for our ICCA set. <laughs> like, so for me, so uh, Rob, you'll have a better idea of this for sure. Um, I think a couple of years ago, winners of the ICCAs, I want to say, I can't remember if it was an LA-based group, I think it was, um, who did a choral opening and they had lifted this girl up and stuff. And I was like, I love, like, choral things. I was going to mm. say choir stuff, but any form of vocal group is a choir so um but like old school choral stuff incorporating that into yeah into um it was an arrangement of wasn't it things. was it mozart's requiem that angus day i think it was either angus day the... or diazire it was one of the it, two no i'm sure it was the lacrimosa oh no you're right yeah lacrimosa that's we're not it. as pretentious as we sound i promise no <laughs> 
No, but it's like, it's one of those things that when you've done choir as a kid for any extended period of time, at some point your choir director will have made you have done at least one of the songs from Mozart's Requiem. You might not know it, but you will have sung Mozart's Requiem at some point. uh, To be fair, I have sung Mozart's Requiem. There you go. You might recognise other adverts and stuff. It's like the Oh, that's in The Simpsons. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things. I can do that. I feel like everyone knows it. You might just not realise yeah. it. Yeah. It's quite famous. But yeah, and, and you're right in saying they did such a clever re um, rearrangement of like that into some really contemporary music. And it's like, yeah, it's just so interesting how people... Because then that is... That, like Mozart's Requiem is... Well, it's some of the pieces are a cappella most of them are accompanied by like organ or, or a keyboard instrument of the, of the time. Um, but it's like taking this thing that originally was like a cappella ages and ages ago, like hundreds of years ago and bringing it right back into and transplanting it into the modern scene and using it in what is like to a lot of people, the pinnacle of modern a cappella, the ICCA competition. Um, yeah, it's just crazy. But I guess that as well. It, so we're talking about like styles and tastes and influences and all these different things. I think for me, every like things that I've heard other groups do a cappella, things that we've done a cappella. I really feel like that's influenced my taste and how I listen to music. Like similar really? to how what we were talking about. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like Rob and Charlie have definitely influenced the kind of artists that I listen to because I don't feel like. I don't know, like, I enjoy music, but I don't necessarily feel like I've, like, got a taste, or I wouldn't say, like, I am an indie person, or, like, I love pop, but, like, I like bits and bobs from everything, and I feel like that's the kind of, I think that's the kind of attitude that it fosters, because you are, you've got, you've got this platform that anything can be. I think, I think it's that sort of organic way that it can be anything you want it to be, because it is what people make of it, and I think that's, that's, I feel like that's coming from beatboxing as well, so it's, I've got this this is all I have, these are the resources I've got and this is what I can do and I think it's sort of, I don't know sparking from that, which I think is really cool and I think that's really cool of what Michael does as well because I, I, you you make noises that I just don't I mean, would you say they're noises? I don't know, is there is there terminology that I'm getting wrong? Is it like I don't know, I don't know the terminology to be honest, I'm on a <laughs> I'm on a group chat of beatboxes from around the UK and like, they start talking about liquid inward bass and I'm like, what does that mean? And then they explain what it is. I'm like, oh yeah, the sucky tongue rolly thing. Yeah, <laughs> I know I how to do that. That's so much more accessible though, because I think a, a, a liquid inward whatever. Like I, well, like as a musical director, you're not going to know what that sound is. But then if you say like the sucky and rolly tongue thing, like I'll have at least a little bit more of an idea of what that sound might sound like in any kind of yeah. way, shape, or form. You need to establish a language with your MD. So yeah. when I, when I worked with, well, I've worked with three MDs, but only two of them in person really because of COVID this year. But um, essentially, like there's one noise I do quite a lot in our songs, which is. I think I call it a lip roll slide because there's a whole breed of sounds called a lip roll, which is made by you moving your lip or the side of your mouth in some way that it makes a sound. And so my first MD, Erin, would just say, hey, Michael, at this bit, can we have one of your noises? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. I can do that. I think sometimes it's good to have terminology. Like if I say click roll, uh, that's easier to like get the idea across than 
what the sound is, which is breathing in rapidly and causing your tongue to flap against the roof of your mouth. Can you can you give us a demonstration for yeah. our listeners, please? <laughs> it is roar. <laughs> they want to hear it, Michael. <laughs> There's different kinds of click roll, but the one I do a lot is I might not be able to do it because it's in the morning, but. Oh. <laughs> I just don't understand how you make that noise at all. No. So it's a combination of which is you breathing air and it makes your tongue vibrate and then at the same time. So and it makes like a vocalized click sound. For for reference. I'm going to write that down. If any of us try and do that kind of sound it ends up sounding like <laughs> like that's my impression of what Michael just did from his description. Um so it's just the mechanics behind it I just think is so clever. I don't know how you isolate... The, I, I mean, I, I, this is just going to be me being astounded for 40 minutes, but it's just like the way that you isolate bits of your... I don't know, I'm like your anatomy. You just know it so well. I don't... And I, I think the terminology as well and how you talk about it is so interesting and I'm just very pleased that I'm not a musical director that has to sort of... It's almost like... It's like a different language. I, lo- I love it. I think absolutely wonderful <laughs> it is very cool having like it's so cool. there's like a whole terminology behind things so beatboxers can share ideas but um in terms of like the acapella world you don't use a click roll that often like you don't really need that i think we'll find I, a way yeah <laughs> i think a vp's role in acapella is you know keep the beat and then if you have an idea for a cool sound you could add in it's your responsibility to try it Get your MD to pay attention yeah. to it and then see how it fits within their well, vision of the song. You know, I find it really interesting how you say about keeping the beat because, Rob, you might have a different idea of this, but to me, it's your musician, your musician, your musicians. Why am I saying that? A musician in a group um, at a particular standard should be able to count themselves. Like that's that's regardless of. If you're a decent enough musician, you should be able to <clears throat> kind of count along and have an idea of what everyone else is doing. So you shouldn't need um, someone doing vocal percussion uh, unless it aids what you're doing. It's kind of like, um, you know, we've spoken about Rob before, choreography at um, competition. At, choreography at a singing competition should aid it rather than doing it for the sake of doing it. You know? There's there's such an interesting there's such an interesting um, dichotomy in acapella between groups who believe that you have to have choreography and beatboxing to make acapella work, and groups who understand that like they are both great things to have in a group, but they are it's not that beatboxing is not necessary. Like in some songs, you really do like it adds so much to a song when you have a a, a really good beatboxer who's working with the group. But it's the difference between somebody adding on top something that's not needed and somebody actually contributing to the group. And I think that's where the balance gets struck and that's what you do so well in all of your performances. It's like you you always feel like a seamless part of the group with whatever VP or beatboxing you're doing. Like it's never Mm. like, oh, they've clearly just added that on the end. Like... Oh, Pete, very kind. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, this isn't aimed this at anybody else who doesn't think, uh, be talking about group. me. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, I I'm think sorry, it was George, me. I stole the spotlight there. You just take a back seat here, Michael. Yeah, you, <laughs> you calm down. No, I completely agree with that, though. I think your whole philosophy, is it for us? I'll call it a philosophy. We're really bigging you up here. A philosophy of like... <laughs> yeah. It's just like you, you are hand in hand in like i don't mean synchronization because that means at the same time i mean like you are 
a whole yeah. unit working together. It's almost like a, a cog in a machine rather than the headlights on a big car, you know? Like, you are part of it, not serving an, an extra purpose. You're... you're. I'm making it sound worse now. You're going to have to cut this out, Rob. It doesn't make any sense. Um, I like the car now. <laughs> but no, that's that's what I think. And I have nowhere to go with that. I'm a fan. I, my metaphors are getting I worse. I trying to follow the car analogy. Head, <laughs> you headlights on the car. <laughs> and it's like it's building... That things are going smoothly, you know? If you didn't have the headlights, you can still drive the car. Obviously, not legally. I'm not sure those are the in, like, technical functions of the headlights. I'm not necessarily legally. That still works. It's just not. I think it's it's the showmanship, isn't it? It's like you don't need to be at the front. I think you, as a personality type, Michael, you're not someone that's like, wait, I need my yeah. beatbox solo in this moment. Everyone, stop what you're doing and showcase me. Whereas you deserve all the showcase you could possibly get. Still, but you, still, <laughs> you fit um, in to the to the machine that I feel is acapella. I I think that's like a very important part for anybody. Like if you have if you have a bass singer who's like, oh man, I really want to just like drop in a a low C sharp here, and it's like that's not what's written. I'm like, there's probably a reason that that's not what's been suggested for this, and you need to talk that through with the MD. And like, as a beatboxer, like, I mean, if someone's like Michael, just do a solo. I'm not gonna say no. Like, that would be cool. <laughs> Ludicrous. But a um, subtle hint. It's just for me, like, the big driving force of being in Aquapella has been like, it's all about the teamwork and it's all about the show. Like, it doesn't matter at the end of the day if stuff goes a little bit wrong so long as people leave the show like having enjoyed and having had a good time having been entertained because like Aaron would say our job is to be entertainers so if they leave the show feeling entertained that's the goal it's not the goal that I get a chance to show off and be like check out all these cool sounds I can do with no context (laughs) and which don't fit together very well if I can do a cool sound and people think it's uh, enjoyable and they're entertained by it and Aaron or Doug or Rose who are the MDs of Aquabella think that it's good then ace but if they don't like the sound the sound's not going in because that is not to me what Acapella is about and that's not what makes a good show I'm so here for this attitude <laughs> yeah it's 10 out of 10 I mean Aquabella have, have long been you know I think you guys have risen to be UK sort of gold standard of acapella and and i feel like you guys know but you've all been very humble about the the kind of process and it's it's nice to see a group that that like you say you see yourselves as entertainers who are doing almost like doing a job but a job that you really enjoy rather than people who are like acapella is this big impressive thing that people will scream and cry at when they watch it it's like you give yourself to the work and that that makes it mean so much for both you guys because you know from your we'll get onto your Edinburgh Fringe show from last year in a second because that was incredible but right at the end where you guys did a song where you were all just stood in a circle facing each other and it's like you had all gone on this like journey together and it was such an emotional moment because you all clearly cared about what you were doing and you were still there to entertain the audience but you weren't there facing the audience and being like here's a big show it was like this is for us this is a moment for us at the end of the show where we get to celebrate the work that we've done just with an audience to to join in in the experience and i think that's that we need more of that (laughs) i'm glad that you guys enjoyed that because uh that's like 
that's a really important part of acapella for me because i honestly when i look back over all performances and i think about it technically i'm like there are some pretty bad mistakes in there like in in like the final at uh vf uk voice festival uk which is an acapella competition which used to be held exclusively in the uk but unfortunately is no more um when i look back at the final for that like our tuning was whack we sped up so much you can barely hear me keeping time because i'm not very good at projecting but i think the thing that has always stuck out to me is how how much we focus on the feeling the emotion and being genuine about it i think it might be partially because of the nature of the group which is we're the only group at the university of bath university of bath is not an arty place whatsoever it's entirely stem uh plus some languages politics and things like psychology which is kind of about as humanities as we get um and so the people who audition for aquapella are kind of circling back to what i said earlier they're people who need to make music like they are desperate to find some sort of outlet and they just want to sing so we have lots of people join who are not natural performers they don't they don't like being on stage i was like that when i joined i hated being on stage i hated grooving i did not want any part of the performance side but because we put so much effort into understanding what the music means to us uh, and what it what it entails for how we've experienced the year, that's not a sentence, but when we think about <laughs> what it means for how our year's gone, then like it bleeds out and we want to share it and we want to show people. So I think Everglow is the song you were talking about where we all sing mm-hmm. it together. There's a very specific story behind that, um, which every time we sung it was just all we were thinking about. And I think that's, that's kind of interesting that you say like it's for the audience because it is distinctly designed to not be for the audience. It's for us, but we kind of do it on stage and then if the audience wants to take part, they can. I think as well, though, with that specifically and with the show, um, because it at least it felt like so much of the rest of the show was for the audience and was like, well, not quite... I. I say this and it's the opposite of what Rob said. I don't quite mean it in that way, but it's like, oh, look what we can do. This is so great. It's, I don't mean that in a kind of look at us showing off way, but. It's like it's, sharing. It's a concert. Yeah. 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 That was the idea Absolutely. was that like, so the first year I was at Fringe was 2017. Yeah. And we did like the usual format, which is quite fun is like you have a storyline and the songs fit as part of the storyline our story was weird like there was an electrical storm and we were all trapped in a pub and the karaoke machine was broken so don't worry aquapella's here no! to sing some backup <laughs> so that was the story for that and then the second year was we had just done a, a tour in quotation marks of the uk which was basically a series of weekend gigs where we did the same the same uh show uh called i wouldn't be and so that was to raise money and awareness for mind a mental health charity uh, because we were like we were at the beginning of the year and we were like okay we want to do a tour this year we want to do it for like a purpose what's something that's quite near and dear to our hearts um, and so the theme of mental health came up and we were trying to think okay what would we what would we call the show um, and I think early on uh, one of our old members Ollie said hey Aaron I found this really cool song called I Wouldn't Be by Codeline it's uh, not like one of their more well-known songs, but it's really, really beautiful. And so it just formed the whole show around that. And then essentially Edinburgh was like the last 
run of the tour. So that had a whole message behind it, which was about sharing how you are with other people, talking, not being afraid to discuss the things you wouldn't be without, for example. So sometimes it was positive things, like I wouldn't be who I am without my family. Sometimes it was things like I wouldn't be who I am without the struggles I went through to get to this point. So that was like a very intense year for the audience. Like it was a very emotionally draining show. So when this uh, the last Fringe show came around, 2019... Yeah, so I'm just checking the calendar. Yeah. <laughs> no, where are we? You are no, you are. You're right. It was 2019. Yeah, this was year no. was. It's still 2020. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're not out of it yet. We're not in the clear. <laughs> oh yeah. 2019 was like, okay, we've just made an album. We think acapella is really cool. Let's share with people how cool we think it is. And that was kind of. There wasn't as much like. Emotion and story, or like this is the purpose of it but it was really cool to do because it was very much just like hey acapella's cool isn't it check this out and we did a show no i i, and I think oh yeah no you go rob being in the audience like you you definitely you definitely felt that because it it was and it was so refreshing to come to your show because i i came and saw it like quite far at the end of of our time at fringe and i'd seen so many other acapella shows by that point who again like you say were doing that kind of same um, archetypal show where it's like either a storyline or it's just like a cabaret of the collection of what they've done throughout the year and it was so refreshing to have have something that did feel like you would almost you you were going to a concert of like your favorite band and they were just there kind of like you you gave to the audience just your experience and it was so yeah if you felt invited into the group which was such a nice feeling because you don't often you don't often get that when you sit and watch a show at Fringe. You don't feel invited into it. It felt like in that room for that hour, everybody was there kind of for the same purpose. There wasn't just like the audience and a group on stage. It was like it was a collective experience for everyone, which sounds I... so sappy, but like it's nice. It's really nice to be a part of I would be interested to hear what people who don't know, um, didn't know you guys watching the show and maybe didn't know very much about a cappella and what their thoughts would be I feel like halfway to that I knew I knew a cappella as a concept rather than a group of people and I think seeing your show was very different to seeing you perform as it like a 12 I'd only ever seen like a 12 minute set before I'd seen that show and I think it was really cool because it was the people that made up the group, but then also the group was so intrinsic to it. It wasn't that it was like, okay, now we're going to showcase this one person. It was like, how can we highlight our strengths, but then show everyone at the same time? I thought I, I really enjoyed that show. And I think it's so interesting to hear you, you, Michael, talk about like the shows that happened before that show and like stuff that you did, which then meant that that show was what it turned into. And I, I, it's it's really cool to hear you say that what you had done before if you hadn't have done that it wouldn't have been what it was when it ended up you know like it is mm. it is sequential and it's year by year you've added stuff to things oh, i'm just talking now um but yeah <laughs> no i don't know keep going i mean Charlie, that's what a podcast is george i think we do we do just talk for a, <laughs> no for but a i'm trying i'm trying i'm trying to be articulate but it is so the the music is so important to all of you and I feel like the music is something that I am really really passionate about but it's something I don't have that much knowledge of so it's really nice for me to be able to hear musicians talk about music and then I can sort of like 
riff off of that. <laughs> See what I did there. Um, hey. <laughs> but that that's that's what I I love hearing that that's at the heart of what people are trying to do. And I think that that if that's not at the heart of what you're doing with acapella, if if you do put the theatre or the show or the, the drama of it all ahead of the music that you're trying to make or like the message that you're trying to get across through the music, then you're just gonna fall short because that's got to be where you start. It's got to be authentic and original. Oh, I disagree. Do you simply because it depends what the overarching purpose is as to whether that because i would say for this it has always been okay this is our story and the music will aid the story but no but like when you come down to arranging things it's got to be important but if you're not thinking like how is this music i mean like i don't know i'm not an arranger but i would imagine if you're thinking about the music but then i guess music is intention and emotion as much as it is the notes and the form of story exactly yeah no it's got to be all those different bits put in one if you had a song that was just it sound it sounds impressive and there's no heart behind it people aren't going to connect to it so it's got to be but it's the same with instrumental though yeah even if it's got no words it can still take you places think of i'm i'm gonna be that person sorry everyone shostakovich's fifth you, like it takes oh, yeah, you somewhere, you know. <laughs> but Let me just... it's not. <laughs> Would recommend <laughs> Rob. Do you do you know what I'm on about? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I have a mental immediate recollection of it. Okay, but fair enough. I know. If I know think, of it. If you think of um, an orchestral piece, it takes you somewhere, mm. and you still get the highs and lows. Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet. Mm. You know? Yeah, but like that—that that <laughs> is that there is an intention, authenticity. Oh, Tchaikovsky Swan Lake. Yeah. Yeah, Swan yeah, Lake da, da, is a really da, da, good da, da, one. Da, da, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone knows it. It still takes you some. Whether you're listening to it, whether you're seeing like the ballet or your um, I sa- I'm aware I sound pretentious. Sorry, everyone. Um, no, it's great. I just wish I knew what the songs were. Oh yeah, I know that one. Yeah, I'm so uncultured. Okay, I. Is, is that Swan Lake? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. You can't say you're uncultured after you've literally just given us, like, the entire backstory to VP and beatboxing, like, yeah. the chronological history of it. <laughs> <laughs> just different cultures. Different cultures, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But, but, sorry, but you know, you this saying... is another thing that makes um, 1001 so good, isn't it? Like... Yeah, yeah, back to why we're in... good. Yeah, no, I remember that now. <laughs> sorry, that's But, fun. like... Uh, George has so much um, knowledge about, not that you would say this, as we've discussed before, very humble, um, but like in terms of script writing and staging stuff and making it appealing and accessible. And then Rob, you know, in terms of arranging, you've got so much talent there. Michael giving us so much like beatboxing. And, but it's not even, sorry, no, but it's, vocal it's not even vocal percussion as well with Michael. I just feel like you are you're a golden oldie with acapella you've been around longer than i have <laughs> so i think it's also this like white beard <laughs> wizard hat kind of knowledge that you've got as well that i Gandalf. think is really, really <laughs> i do like a wizard hat um but i i think about this show very differently to um regular acapella shows at fringe um it's part of what like it, like drew me towards the project in the first place was that like when acapella groups have stories at fringe sometimes it feels like a set has been developed over the year of songs that they like to do and then they try Mm -hmm. and make a story to fit it 
but listening to the first couple of podcasts where you guys talk about how you found the music for the show and how it came together this feels a lot more like the story comes first and then the music is like growing alongside the story to really add to the way we're telling the story but that is a new and exciting idea to me because like like I said we had a set for it was called Happy Hours my first show we had a set and we tried to come up with a story and like you know it was alright but it didn't make any sense whereas this like you know Liv, Nina coming together breaking apart again over an issue how does how does friendship get resolved how do we deal with people moving on things changing and then the music reflects that do you know I'm not really expressing no, this no, well, no, 100% but... but that's what we had to do that we our, our show we did last year it had to be songs that we've done the songs came first well, how can we showcase the songs in this thing and also make it an engaging thing for an audience because I think for so long I mean this is for me personally for so long I was quite con- concerned with myself of getting like the notes right and knowing what I'm doing and knowing where my feet are going to go and like as someone that has performed in the past I thought oh yeah well I'll just perform and it'll be fine and I forgot I think it really took the first fringe performance ever like I'd never done fringe before the first time we got in front of an Edinburgh audience I was like oh wait none of this matters unless they're on your side unless you make it entertaining and engaging unless they actually want to be there because it's not your friends and family it's not my mum that's going to like it no matter what I do it's a bunch of strangers and you've got to sell it and I do feel like this is the this is what's maybe quite exciting and or intimidating about this project because this is something we've never done before either we don't know whether acapella will suit this kind of musical side it's it's 100% two worlds coming together so we're sort of <laughs> stitching up in the middle will it work we don't know we think it will um but we'll <laughs> we'll see and either way That's you should come and see if it will research into this project because well the funny thing is is that i thought the whole time we've been doing this because you're like you're right in saying that it's I feel like it is quite especially for um for like people graduates of collegiate acapella is quite a a new thing for people to be doing a show first that just kind of also happens to be acapella um it's been done before on I don't know if it was off Broadway or whether it ended up on Broadway but there's a musical called In Transit I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it yeah and it's it's an acapella like Broadway musical and everyone was so excited because they're like, oh, it's the first of its kind. It's going to be really crazy cool because it's like no instruments. It's everyone on stage singing. It was a massive flop, apparently. I haven't seen it. I can't tell you whether it was good or bad. I just know that people didn't seem to enjoy it enough for it to be a thing. I'm pretty sure it closed um, like relatively soon after opening. And so there's the, now this like <laughs> history of acapella musicals <laughs> just not doing very well. Um, and fingers crossed we'll be here to, to, to change that. And I mean, I apologise to anybody from In Transit if you're listening to this and I've got that information wrong. Um, I think it's a great idea. I thought the music was good. I think um, it might be different styles because this is a jukebox musical, right? 1001 Over Mic Nights. Whereas yeah. there may have been a bootleg copy on YouTube and I may have watched some of it. <laughs> and there's like, it, it's, you know, <laughs> you know, like traditional musicals are fairly sung through and there's music like accompanying Themes, movements and stuff yeah that's what in transit was like so there yeah. was it also probably wasn't balanced very well but there was just a bass guy going da 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 for like 40 bars which like you know if that was an orchestra that would be a normal part of the song but i think like unless it's unless it's handled very tastefully acapella can be like kind of goofy and off-putting to some people because it is someone going, 
da 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 yeah like you can hear that very clearly (laughs) we did this thing once where um they were trying to set it up in such a way that it would seem as if we the acapella group was a backing track to a singer on stage and like oh we tricked the audience because then we'd come out on stage as a group um but that was never going to work because the very first sound of someone going do 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 like it's just very obviously is that a person? Yeah. Who's going to be like, oh, wow, this backing track's really, you know, ambiance. It's like, no, yeah. it's clearly someone saying do. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? That's the key, is not trying to pretend that you're something else. Like, we're not trying to Own pretend to that this is... We're really not going out this room with the perspective that this is a musical theatre production that is going to be like a, any other musical with instruments, but it just happens to be a cappella. Like, we are treating this as the individual and like because every project is unique but we're treating it with the uniqueness that it that it has in the fact that like we have an experience working with acapella before but we're just bringing that into a slightly different style from what it usually it usually would be at the Edinburgh Fringe I think that's what's exciting is that when you don't try and pretend to be anything else that's when you have the opportunity to create something completely new and maybe that's getting ahead of ourselves and maybe it's all going to be you know <laughs> blow up in our faces but that's the excitement of it because but that's, that's what it's about yeah we've got to you know you've got to try out these things and see yeah yeah see what happens so yeah on that very wholesome little note there shall we talk about our obsessions for the week because we are very swiftly running out of time you know i was thinking i i think most of my week when i'm walking to and from work i think about what my obsession of the week will be as opposed to just getting obsessed with something and then <laughs> talking about it on the podcast <laughs> preemptively i must find something that obsesses me <laughs> oh i remember i remember my obsession now go on go for so, it i was at work i was on a night shift and i had made the rookie mistake of not planning i i like to plan my meals um and other things in life but especially my meals and um i went to the supermarket because i was going to make a sandwich and then we had no bread left so i was like oh i need to make sure i go in early to the supermarket i'm aware i have been told in the past i'm not the best storyteller so sorry everyone but um (laughs) but i go into sainsbury's and i'm like okay what do I want what do I want I'm like oh my goodness I have no idea I get some sweet chilli crackers from Grey's or by Grey's um, and I was like rookie error granola bar and some like fresh orange juice from um, Sainsbury's and I was I got to my break at like half three in the morning because as I say night shift and I was like why have I done this to myself because I'm a fool and you know that granola bar and that orange juice was so delicious and so when <laughs> oh, honestly it was so good so my next night shift i got the same thing minus the sweet chili crackers would not recommend but um you know the simple things in life i haven't had fresh orange juice in so long when i say fresh i mean from a supermarket like the fresher version rather than the concentrate version again i promise i'm not pretentious but it was so delicious it was so good i haven't had orange juice in months like a month, maybe, maybe a year. <laughs> oh my goodness, orange like, a juice. A whole year? No. Wait, you've not had orange juice like full stop, like of any kind in a I year? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Charlie. I just, it's not my go-to. If I'm going to go for wow. a drink, I'd probably choose a herbal tea. Or I'd have water or a herbal tea. 
I just kind of assume, well, I guess we've all been at home so much that, like, because I always just think, like, orange juice is one of those things that you tend to just, like, it just happens sometimes where I'm at, like, I'm out for breakfast or brunch or something. It's like orange juice comes with, because I went to Carluccio's a few months ago, and, like, you get a glass of, of some kind of juice with your meal, and it's always like, oh, yeah, orange juice, and then you just have orange juice. Mm. This is a really weird mm. conversation to be talking about, but I just assume people <laughs> really drink like orange, orange juice, juice on right. the regular. Okay, Michael, what do you like? Michael Michael here doesn't like mince, well, he doesn't know whether he likes mince pies or not. He's never had a mince pie. He doesn't like orange it's juice. Fearless. What do you like, Michael? End on a positive. Is there an, what what drink would you I have? I like apple juice. I'm a big fan yes, of apple rogue. juice. Cloudy or from a carton concentrated? Only if there's no bits. I like my favorite is uh, Capella. Excuse me. Wait, apple and bits. elderflower. Yeah, no, that is that is nice. You, that's to be fair, nice. and and you, Charlie was worried about being pretentious. I think you've just blown that drink <laughs> drink out of the water. I can't help it. I know it's like five pounds a carton for that stuff. <laughs> it's delicious. It's worth it's every liquid penny. gold. But I don't like orange juice because it impedes beatboxing. So does it? It's a good reason. Oh, we haven't spoken. We're gonna to have to get you back on the podcast because there are so many little yeah. things about beatboxing and stuff. The whole phlegm conversation—it sounds. I gross. don't think I want to have that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no thanks. I'll be busy that week. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. But um, George and or Michael, do either of you have your obsession? Do you know what it is? I'll go. I, no. Yeah, you go first. I'll go. I've got one ready. Um, just because I'm looking at myself in my Zoom screen, because who doesn't look at themselves in the Zoom screen? I don't know if you, if anyone else looks at anyone else. Um, anyway, my obsession is turtlenecks. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. I'm currently wearing two turtlenecks. Um, I have found that if <laughs> in in this week, so it's de- it's definitely got colder now. If you haven't noticed, it's winter. Um, and when I'm not wearing something that covers my neck, I'm in an infinitely worse mood. If I have something that goes up to my earlobes, I'm happy. Uh, and then I'm cosy and it's fine. And I think as well, like, it makes me feel very put together. It's the whole Steve Jobs thing of have a uniform for your day and then your day will be ready and there's one less thing you have to think about. I think having a black turtleneck makes me feel like I'm far more put together than I am. Um, and it, it's good and bad. It's good because I feel put together, but it's bad because I'm less like fashion crazy. I want to be more, maybe next week I'll have cravats as my obsession. I'll Ooh. have a new, a new interesting fashion item each week as my obsession. Stay so tuned. You could grow a beard, George. You'd be set because... yeah. Beards are honestly such great face warmers. <laughs> Maybe I need a fake one. Maybe I'll start wearing a, a fake Santa beard in this December month and people might get confused and think, oh, Father Christmas came early. Oh, my mum showed me something the other day which it made me oh, kind of angry at just people doing very unnecessary things. I guess maybe some would call it festive and I'm going to sound like a Grinch now. But somebody's made a face mask that has like a Santa Claus moustache and beard like on the outside of it like who I love that that's I very live laugh that. love energy that's hilarious <laughs> yeah. that is hilarious if I saw someone energy. in the street that would make me smile not that they would see under my mask but I would be grinning yeah to be fair my first reaction was just to laugh and then I turned around and I was like but why it makes no sense oh I'm actually mad mouth. at this <laughs> yeah it was it was it's a slow burn <laughs> Well, Michael, if you grew your moustache really long... Michael's got a beard for anyone that can't see him, which is everyone. Um, if, you grew, <laughs> if you grew your moustache, do you reckon that could fashion as a mask? If it was like a really long lip moustache? My moustache is pretty 
pretty weak to be honest it's gone strong because you must your beard hair and facial hair grows back stronger every time you shave it but i haven't shaved since i did sex education so like it's it's pretty weak <laughs> so then, like, the <laughs> it would be very wispy <laughs> It billows in the wind. Anyway, yeah. Michael, what's I've your obsession? I've got a very obsession? weak moustache. Uh, what's your obsession? My obsession is frozen pizza dough. What? What? Because I love pizza. I love <laughs> pizza. Did you catch that? But why frozen pizza dough? I thought you were going to say frozen pizza. Because frozen pizzas, they're okay. Goodfellas thin crust, that's a decent pepperoni pizza all right that's pretty nice put it in the oven 17 minutes gas mark seven wow you have it on the right otherwise the oven on the left will burn it of course so that works that works great however sometimes you want something a bit more like in depth something a bit more special so i used to order domino's because it's the only place that delivers here i don't actually like domino's that much it's not very good pizza but they were the only people that deliver to where my house is um but then when I was at home, when the lockdown first started, my parents were like, do you want to try like making pizza at home? And I was like, yeah, dog, let's give this a go. So we made pizza sauce. We got some fresh mutts. We got some <laughs> chorizo and some pepperoni. And then like there's this pizza dough. You can either buy a powder and like mix it up or you can buy just balls of frozen pizza dough. Obviously not as good as like making your own dough and then letting it prove overnight. And then it's super bubbly, like Neapolitan style. Oh. But it's so great to be able to just like whip up some pizza sauce, put it in a jar, and then you're like, damn, I want some fancy pizza. Pull that frozen dough out of the oven, give it overnight to, uh, not overnight, give it like a couple of hours to thaw out. Super easy to work with. It's not sticky. It's very easy to, to play with. Just put some flour down, absorbs the flour, no issues, no mess, no fuss. Great pizza. It doesn't have necessarily like, the bubblage and uh, gas content you'd want from a dough to have like proper Italian style, but it does the job and it tastes great. And I'm such a big fan because it has upped my pizza game I... no end. Frozen, I'm still trying to get over the fact that you can buy frozen. It's not surprising dough. in this day and age, yeah, though, really, is it? You can buy, you can buy frozen. Do we have a brand? Uh, not on me. I mean, it, that mm. could have been a paid promotion if you Let asked me. me. <laughs> if that was a branded for frozen pizza dough, Honestly, I'd buy yeah. it. Uh, I mean, I'd buy m- most things that I get told to buy, but I would buy that. No, that does sound good. I think we should email the brand and send them that last like two minute voice <laughs> clip of you advertising for them because, you know, it'll do wonders. <laughs> it'll do absolute wonders. That was concise, but also very, you know, it gave you all the pressure. I would promote them for <laughs> free. They have wow. changed my life. Okay. No, well, I like, I'm, I'm all for that one. Something. It's a sense of accomplishment. There's something out, even even literally, if you just mm. sprinkle some mm. extra cheese on an already made pizza, I feel like I've crafted something with love and care. So I think adding those Same. those extra few steps yeah. that yeah. would really put me down for a good a good Friday night dinner. You get to like learn a lot. It's like different sizes. How much mutts do you need for each what one? What is mutts? Like, what do you mean by mutts? Mozzarella. Mozzarella. Oh, some fresh mutts. <laughs> you know, it's like some does fresh anyone else not know what this is. <laughs> He's from the Bronx. <laughs> Bronx. Not... I've done the spinny stuff with the you know you put in his like. Stop wow. It. Okay, that's impressive. Again, well, I, I guess it. the fire spinning helps. Pizza spinning, same yeah. thing. Really. Well, I did like just throw it at the window once, <laughs> and that didn't. It just left like flour on the window. Oh, phew! I was thinking 
could it break it? But presumably wouldn't still be frozen at that point. I mean, so. I mean yeah. Oh, no, you wouldn't really. <laughs> spin, <laughs> throw a, you wouldn't really spin pizza on your window. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Robert, what's your obsession? What's my obsession? My obsession this week. I'm gonna bring it. Well, I don't, I'm bringing it down a tone from the pizza dough. That was that was nice and wholesome. My obsession is actually another podcast this week because in making this podcast, I've got really back into listening to other podcasts, and I'm gonna get I'm gonna get the name of the people who created it up, but it's called Dear Joan and Jerrica. I don't know if any of you guys have listened to it before. It is no. oh my goodness! I think it, I've heard it mentioned on a on another podcast, but I didn't. I've not listened to it. What's it about? Give us a a so, overview. It's a it's a satire podcast, um, and it's by these two comedians, and oh, it's just my favourite thing because they're they're playing these like characters called Joan and Jerrica. I feel like I'm ruining the whole mystery of it because like you're kind of meant to go in with the perspective that these are actually two real women like making this podcast, and they get these viewers to write in letters. And the viewers are obviously all made up, um, but it's all of these like women who have who have problems in their personal lives and Joan and Jerrica are like um I, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get up the description and I'm gonna read it to you because I think me trying to explain it like that does not do it justice give me two seconds I think I mean, they might have been featured on the high low I think they have been with uh, Dolly Alderton and Pandora Sykes which That's is ending which is ending this week wait what yeah this week's Fair the last yeah. ever episode so, so I hope all of ever, all ever, not the ever, 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 no, ever, they're never making any more. Charlie's but reality all... just came crashing down. No. <laughs> <laughs> all their listeners are going to come and listen to our podcast, so it's okay. Yeah. So yeah. if you've yeah. say... from the High Low podcast, welcome. We welcome you here. We're High Low fans, <laughs> and we will be hi High Low. Next week's, next week's <laughs> episode will be in memoriam of the High Low podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, so oh, I've got I've got the description for Dear Joan and Jerrica. Um, so it's Julia Davis and Vicky Pepperdine, and the description is, every woman, Joan Damry and Jerrica Domain, have between them worked in the fields of life coaching, female sexual health, psychogenital counselling, and sports journalism for the past 32 years. Joan has been married several times and has five children, while Jerrica has been married for 30 years and has an only daughter, Cardinal. Joan recently turned her hand to erotic romantic adult fiction, whilst Jerrica has written five books on depression. And honestly, you have no idea what you're in for listening to this podcast. People write in and they'll be like, it, it's all about like people who have husbands with weird like sexual disorders. There's one in the first series where it's about a woman whose husband can't stop ejaculating into guests' coat pockets when they come round to My their house. My mum listens to this, Rob. <laughs> Apologies <laughs> for the explicit <laughs> podcast <laughs> conversation matter. No, it's okay. Honestly, oh, it's funny. It is, it's intense, it's an experience, and it's just the two of them. And I recommend listening to it with, like, headphones over your ears, because you can hear them throughout the episode, like, really trying to stifle giggles at each other, because obviously what they're saying is just so ridiculous and hilarious, and they're just kind of like, you can sometimes hear in the background just like... <laughs> and it's just like... And you're... Listen, like it must be so much fun to record that podcast because you just spend the whole time laughing. It's outrageous. If you are sensitive in any way to sexual innuendos or content like that, then yeah, maybe stay clear. But 
would highly recommend it makes me no i think i'm all for that now when i when i was younger and i used to like act i'd be like corpsing is the worst thing you could do you if you laugh on stage that's it that's done whereas now my sense of humor is like watching 10 minute compilation videos of snl people that go on and corpse throughout the whole of their sketches that is (laughs) that is my sense of humor now so i think i like that i'm ready for that oh so good but yeah so go go once you finish this episode Make sure that you finish this episode first. Get the whole way to the end. We've only got a few seconds left. Then you go and listen to Jonah Jerrica. But don't let it replace us because yeah. we have to be your favourites. Um, but on that note, thank you, thank you to Michael for being our wonderful guest this week. We'll definitely have you on for another thank episode because I don't feel like we. Yeah, I think finished. I'd like you back. This this was your initiation. I'd love and you to be the back. Yeah. This is a lot of fun. Yay! Yay. That's what we love to hear. <laughs> I also am a huge narcissist and love talking about myself. <laughs> and then, so and then listening to it afterwards. That's the best bit. You haven't got to that bit yet. You get to listen yeah. to yourself. I'm so excited again. to listen back to myself say things I said. <laughs> I think my, our, main re- our main listenership is me listening to it like 10 times over. But I, that's fine. That's okay. we've, gone that's from, we've gone from in the first two episodes of this podcast being like, George is such a modest person. She's really like, doesn't talk about herself a lot. To episode three and four Even where George is like... I, I scroll through my own Instagram, I look at myself in Zoom, and I listen to myself exclusively on the podcast. So. I'm morphing into Mariah Carey every day, so we'll just we'll see how that goes. But thank you for coming, Michael. It's been an absolute yes. joy to have you. Thank you and, for having me. And thank you to all of you guys for, for, for listening to us ramble on for an hour and ten minutes. So, yeah, hope thank you've enjoyed. Thank you so much. We will see you soon. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We really appreciate all the support and kind words we've been receiving online. Our Patreon page is now live, so if you're looking for even more behind-the-scenes exclusive content, you can find us by searching 1001 Open Mic Nights. If you've got any questions about the podcast or any aspects of the show, email us at 1001openmicnights at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram where we're 1001OMN. Thanks for listening.